0: You know what I don't like about Christmas? All the mess. Like, it's wrapping paper everywhere, people ripping open boxes, stuff. And then some people that I live with, I, they have a dog, okay? And then they encourage the dog. Like, they throw balls of wrapping paper at the dog. And, I'm just, and it's just a royal mess everywhere. And I'm just enough OCD that all that mess, like, I can't just... I can't relax. And all of that, I have to clean it up. So I'll run around with a trash bag and I'll be cleaning it up. And Crystal will say, would you just sit down and let it go? Here's the thing, everybody. You can't get to the good stuff without the mess. Like the presents are inside. You have to rip off the wrapping paper or the box and or both, whatever. You got to You got to make a mess to get to the good stuff. You can't have that special moment like that click of the camera and that big smile or that special video or the jumping up and down with glee because they got the present that they had hoped for. that was going to be so awesome that they would play with for the next 36 hours and never touch again, right? So you can't, you can't get to it unless you go through, unless you go through the mess. Well, we're looking at Matthew's version of the Christmas story today. And and Matthew talks about a mess. Now, he starts with the genealogy, and I spared you that. We didn't read. Although the genealogy is fascinating, but it would take a couple sermons to go through, okay? It is fascinating, but it is messy. What we did read was about Joseph, who was engaged to marry Mary, and it was an almost divorce. Now, that's a mess. That's almost, they almost, it took divine intervention to stop it. Now, something very unique about the Bible is... In the ancient Near East, you would not write about the flaws of the main characters or the heroes of the Bible. You wouldn't do that, but the Bible does. The Bible shows us the main characters' flaws and all, shows us all the messes, which is totally, again, totally unique in that world. These are real people going through real events, having real struggles, and having real messes. This is what they are actually dealing with. So what we're focused on this christmas in this series when love takes you in loneliness the longing for belonging when we are socially disconnected it's it's a mess it makes our insides a mess which then moves its way to our outside so how do we end our exile so how do we how do we get back home how do we find that place of just belonging where we feel secure loneliness is dangerous. That's what we said in week number one. It's dangerous. Major problem. When when we're lonely, the experts tell us it's like smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Can you imagine that? When we go to the doctor, when you and I go to the doctor, that's probably one of the first questions. That's one of the first questions I always get. Do you smoke? Because you shouldn't be smoking. It's the first thing. Being lonely is like smoking 15 cigarettes a day. We have this longing for belonging. We have a longing for social connection. Vietnam vets. Now, I included three books at the bottom of the, of the list of the notes tab there for resources. I encourage you in all of them. In the Brown book and the Murphy book, uh, former, uh, Brian talked about, uh, Dr. Murphy's book last week, actually. It's called Together. He's the former Surgeon General, of the United States of America. In these books, particularly the Murphy book, talks about Vietnam vets and I have read this before. So many of our soldiers in Vietnam were addicted. And our government knew this and it was a major panic, oh my gosh, we're going to bring all these soldiers home and so many of them were addicted. But you know what the soldiers got back and almost not all of them, but a huge amount of them, cold turkey, just stopped. Like how do we avoid that disaster? Social connection. They came back home to family and friends. And what they were longing for was truly not drugs that were wrecking their lives. They were longing for social connection. They were longing to end their exile. They were longing for home. So many of us, we are suffering from social disconnection and we don't know it. We don't know it. Many times, Murphy actually says this. We will misdiagnose depression when we're actually really lonely. Now I'm not telling you to stop taking medication. I'll just be clear. John's not saying stop taking medication. I'm just saying that Dr. Murthy says, that actually we need social connection and we're prescribing drugs for it. That social connection is like medicine for our souls. It soothes what we're really longing for. So look, we're, we're just going after this loneliness thing. How do we end our exile? How do we get back home? How do we take these major steps to get back home in our life? Now, I wanna read you a quote. It's in the Murphy book, but it's by Thomas Wolfe, who was a brilliant writer. He died early in his life. I don't even think he was 40 years old yet, but he's a brilliant writer early, early 20th century. This is what he says. The whole conviction of my life now rests upon the belief that loneliness, far from being a rare and curious phenomenon, peculiar to myself and to a few other solitary men, is the central and inevitable fact of human existence. So This is why we're going to go back to Genesis. Like, John, what what are you doing? You're going back to Genesis. This is Christmas time. No, no, we're going back to Genesis. And here's the reason why. Because Genesis, it's a Hebrew word. And we have other Hebrew words for being first in chronology. Genesis is not just first because it's the first book of the Bible. It's first in foundational importance. Like, what are the struggles? What are the primary foundational struggles of humanity? All of humanity. And then how do we solve them? That's what Genesis is about. So we're going to go back to Genesis, then we're going to come back to Joseph, and eventually we're going to end in Jesus, because he's the reason for the season. Because Christmas, what is Christmas really all about? Christmas is about ending our loneliness. Christmas is about crushing that loneliness, the disconnection, the longing for belonging that we all have. And many of us in this world, according to the experts, are suffering loneliness and we're trying to solve other issues when the main issue is loneliness. And we've got to deal with it because it's a universal problem of all of humanity. That's what the Bible says. So when you go back to Genesis and it says that they were exiled from home, the garden, paradise, that, that is telling us that our primary problem is social connection. Our primary problem is we become disconnected from God and from each other. And then all the problems go from there. The disconnection from God and each other, that has to be solved. When that is solved, shalom, home, life, balance, feeling of, ah, yes, this is right. That can begin to be soothed. Social connection is like medicine for our souls now. I said this in week one. We think of the Bible a lot. It's like, it's a long list of do's and don'ts. We think of church as a, as a list of long, no, do's and don'ts. People say, I don't want to go. I don't need somebody telling me what to do. Do you know this? There is not a word in Hebrew for obey. Did you know that? I didn't know that. There's not a word in Hebrew for obey. God's not calling us to be obedient. There's 613 commands in the Bible, and yet God is not calling us to be obedient because there's not a word for obey in Hebrew in the Bible. I used to sing as a kid, growing up in church, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. When I was just first married, I would joke around with Krista and because I was so used to singing the song, right? I'd sing trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy with Krista but to trust and obey. But you know what? Krista doesn't want me to be obedient. Krista wants me to love her. And what is love? Love is being responsible. When you love somebody, you are responsible. It's not obedience. There is a big difference. So there's not a word in Hebrew for obey, but the closest we have is shema, You might have heard that before because that's the most famous prayer in all the Bible. It's not Matthew chapter six with the Lord's prayer. It's Deuteronomy chapter six with the Shema, the word Shema. We call it Shema because that's the first word of the prayer. And it kind of sort of means to obey, but not exactly. It's different. So it says, here's how the prayer begins. Every day, Jesus would pray this prayer probably twice a day, every day of his life. Hear, O Israel, hear. The word hear is Shema, means to listen, but it means far more than just to listen and far more than to obey. It means to listen, to really hear, and to respond appropriately. God is calling us to be responsible. When the King James, the King James version of the Bible, right, the old Elizabethan English, when they came to that word in the Shema, they had to invent a word and they called it hearken. Look it up in the King James, hearken, hearken. What it means is to be responsible. And I want to read you a quote from uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs about this. I think it's really good. He says, in Judaism, God does not command blind obedience. If he sought no more than mindless submission to the divine will, he would have created robots, machines, or genetically programmed people who responded automatically to commands as dogs to Pavlov's bell. God wants us to be mature. Deliberative, to do his will because we understand or because we trust him when we do not understand. He seeks from us something other and greater than obedience, namely responsibility. Everybody, God seldom solves our problems. I know this can be a big misunderstanding. God seldom solves our problems problems. I'm not going to get on my knees and ask God to clean up this mess behind me. Instead, God, like any great parent, doesn't go around enabling by solving all the problems. God instead shows character, values, his character, his values, his wisdom to us, and then we reflect that. A parent raises a child, teaches them the right ways with values, with principles to live by, and then helps them to be responsible to do it, to solve their own problems. A bad parent would solve all the problems for a child. God, if God was a bad God, would just go around solving all our problems. Instead, God calls us to be responsible, to be mature, and to respond to be image bearers of him, to be reflectors of his character to the world around us. So there are four major steps in Genesis. Four major steps that lead us away from home, that lead us into exile, that disconnect us. We have a longing for belonging. And if we are irresponsible in these four areas, we are removing ourselves farther and farther away from where we really wanna go. We have to take responsibility. And here's number one, personal responsibility. Adam and Eve, God says, stay away from the tree. Well, then they go in and mess the tree. And so God comes along and says, did you mess with the tree? And what does Adam do? He says, not me, not me. It was Eve. It's not me. It's Eve. It's always somebody else's problem. So he points to Eve. It was her. You made her and she's the problem. And what does Eve say? Eve says, it was the serpent. It was the serpent's fault. It wasn't me. It's the serpent. And the serpent, he doesn't have any hands. So he's just like there. What could he do? He couldn't do anything. Personal responsibility. The problem is not outside of me. This is the, this is the biblical story, the biblical principle. Chaos or problems aren't outside of me. They're inside of me. I can't be a victim. I can't play the victim. I can't buy into that mentality. I have to accept personal responsibility and make the changes. I walk into a situation and I don't say, it's right. I say, what do I need to do? personal responsibility is where it begins number two cain cain kills his brother abel this is moral responsibility and cain is morally irresponsible god says after the murder of abel it says hey cain where is your brother and what does cain say back am i my brother's keeper i have no moral responsibility am i my brother's keeper and then collective responsibility that's Noah. when noah's born we're told That he was named Noah because he would comfort people. He would comfort the earth. And Noah was a righteous man. Now this is interesting. Noah was a righteous man. He was a good man, but he was named comfort because he was supposed to comfort people in the world and the world was just like melting down. Things are really bad. Everybody, nobody was taking personal responsibility. Nobody was taking moral responsibility. And when you don't take personal or moral responsibility, everything is tanking. There's chaos, there's hurt, there's pain, there's violence. There is a strong connection. If you're looking the Murphy book, if you read that, there's a strong connection between loneliness and violence that a lot of times, particularly males, when we're disconnected, we're very bad at understanding the fact that we need social connection, that when we are lonely, then when we have a need to belong, that we express that loneliness through violence. I thought that was fascinating. So that's the world that Noah lived in. No personal responsibility, no moral responsibility. They're going to step in major giant steps farther and farther away from home. They're disconnected. They have a longing for belonging. God comes along and says, Noah, You're going to comfort all people. And Noah is righteous, but Noah doesn't attempt to save anybody else but his own little family. And so everything goes really, really fast in the story to the point Noah, he builds this ark and they go through the flood. And then after the flood, Noah, it slows down very reluctant to come out of the ark. One rabbi says this. He says, I would have bust. I wouldn't have waited for God to say, come on out of the ark, Noah. I would have busted the door down and taken myself out because you never need permission to repair a shattered world. And Noah failed in the area of collective responsibility. And at the end of his story, we see that he's drunk and naked and just making a huge embarrassment of himself. So Noah was righteous, but he he failed at the collective part. He didn't even try to save the world. And finally, Ontological responsibility. This is the Tower of Babel. So they build this tower and they're like climbing right up to the sky to break in. Ontological means, basically it means it's a word of metaphysics, but it basically means to blur identity. I went to a leadership conference one time and the leader was speaking. He was a he was a leader of a huge organization. He says, basically, those people underneath you, they all think that you can do your job better than you. He said, You just need to wrap your mind around that. Everybody underneath of you thinks that it can do your job better than you. Maybe you saw the movie Bruce Almighty with Jim Carrey. He becomes God for whatever it was, a week or something like that. Why? Because he can do a better job than God can do at his job, right? So that's the story of Babel. They're like, God, we're going to break into heaven. We're going to climb our way up to you because we think we can do better than you. Like who, who do you think you are telling us what to do? Who is the authority? I'm the authority. I am the authority, not God. So ontological responsibility to respect God. Now, Abraham. So that's the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And you get to Genesis 12 and we're introduced to Abraham. Like the most famous person on the planet. Not then, but now we get to Abraham. And Abraham's a major turning point. Here's what Rabbi Sack says about Abraham. Abraham represents the turning point, offering a counterpoint to all the previous failures. So number one, personal responsibility. God says to Adam and Eve, don't touch the tree. They touch the tree and they say, not me. Where are no personal response. God says to Abraham, I need you to go. I need you to go. And what does Abraham do? Backs up his bags and he goes. He takes personal responsibility. He follows. It's like the famous line from Isaiah. Who will go and who will I send? Isaiah says, here I am, send me. I'll be personal. The world's in trouble. Send me. I'll take if the problem isn't out there, the problem's in here. I need to take personal responsibility. God said go. I need to go. There are things that I need to do. I don't walk into every relationship and every situation saying, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? I say, what do I need to do? What changes do I need to make? Comes very natural to me to want to look for all the problems in you. Kristen and I had a little, little dust up yesterday and it was totally my fault, but I found this strong inclination to want to figure out why it was really her problem. What is that about us? Personal responsibility. When we take it, we step back towards home, ending our exile. That's where it all begins. Number two, with Abraham, he rescues his nephew Lot. He is his brother's keeper. He does it, he's the counterpoint. Moral irresponsibility when he takes moral responsibility for Lot. And then Sodom, Noah, collective irresponsibility. What does Abraham do? Those people down in Sodom weren't his people. They weren't his people. Why should he, why should he care about them? They were, they were radically different than him. And yet you see in the story, he is pleading with God to spare Sodom. Says, God, if there's 50. If there's 50, he's pleading, he's begging. And God says, okay, if there's 50 righteous people. And he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, God, if there's 45, and God says, okay. And what if there's there's 40? What if there's 35? He goes all the way down to 10 people. He's pleading and begging with God for people who aren't anything like him. He shows collective responsibility, not Noah's collective irresponsibility. Reminds me a lot of Desmond Tutu. Desmond Tutu said, during apartheid, that he would just pray every day for the leader of South Africa, even though that leader was not leading in any kind of way righteous and was so different from Desmond Tutu. Pleading, he said, I prayed every day, every day. Collective responsibility. And then finally, we get to the ontological responsibility. Abraham shows that and that he says, he says, you know God, I am just dust and ashes. In other words, he's saying to God, there is a clear identity difference. You are the author of all light, life and I am not. It's like the line from the famous movie, Rudy. If you've never seen Rudy, you should see the movie. It's great, particularly if you like football. What does the priest say to Rudy? There's one thing I know for sure. There is a God and I am not him. So there's no blurring of the lines there at all. It's clear. I am not the author. I'm not the author of all life. It is God. So when God guides us and gives us principles and upholds his principles, I don't say, no, I'm going to reject those clear principles that work. No, instead, I'm going to embrace them. Or I'm not going to say, you know what? Those principles are really, I came up with those principles when God introduced them to us in the first place. Now, I want to turn back to Joseph now and then try to bring this home to Christmas, all right? Joseph, if you'll look back through that passage that we read in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 24, you'll see that Joseph takes on all four of those personal, moral, collective, and ontological responsibility. And as he does, as he brings those into place, that is ending the exile. I can think in my own life, when I have ignored these four areas of responsibility, it is going to lead me to disconnection. That is the story. Jesus Christ is the ultimate responsibility taker that is why christmas ends our exile and we are called to follow jesus christ to follow his responsible ways he took personal responsibility he came next week i'm gonna talk about the fact that christmas is inevitable he came why because love because love always takes responsibility he didn't say no not me send somebody else That Isaiah passage, here I am, send me. No, he says, I'll I'll go. I will go. He takes more responsibility. He is our keeper because he loves us. He takes, collective. takes the whole world on. And of course, ontological. He knows that he is called to be our savior. Jesus Christ takes responsibility. And because of it, when we respond to him, we begin to end our disconnection. That longing for belonging is fulfilled. But we have to be responsible. Now let's turn it to all of us. What do we need to do? How do we need to end our exile? Dr. Murphy says this, a first step is to acknowledge the vital need that all human have humans have for social connection. We've got to admit it. We have this need. We need to stop looking to solve our problem in lots of different areas. And he said, you know what? I have a need for connection with God and with others, with God and with others. I have a need, how am I dealing with it? I need to be personally responsible. I can't be looking for to blame something else or to blame the world. What do I need to do? It is, again, so natural for me to wanna look to problems outside of myself and somewhere else. Now, I'll tell you what they say, and then you're gonna be shocked at this. If I'm gonna take personal responsibility for social disconnection, then you're gonna have to put the phone down. You're like, John, you can't be serious. You didn't just say that. Read the books. And it's just not Murphy and Brown who say this. There are so many people who say, put the phone down. Look people in the eye and have a conversation. You are actually taking medication for your soul when you do that. You long for that social connection. Take personal responsibility. I remember my mother-in-law used to say all the time, I look everywhere. Everybody's like this, with their head down all the time. Everybody's with their head down. Put the phone down. Be responsible yourself. Okay, other people aren't having it, but you put it down. And when you're talking to people, right, don't keep it in your hands because so many of us can do text message and look at somebody in the eye. No, no, put it away because as long as it's in your hands or as long as your eyes are on it, you're gonna be socially disconnected. I'll tell you something else. If there's a young woman in your life, social media is crushing young women. That's what the data is showing. We have to be very careful. It's creating a social disconnect. So we need to be personally responsible for these areas. What can I do? Me, not you. What can I do to end my social disconnection? More responsibility. What do I need to do? Am I my brother's keeper? Murthy really goes into this in his book that is so important for us to serve. We can't be like the Christmas carol, right? The Christmas carol, Scrooge, who served nobody but himself and was incredibly disconnected, incredibly unhappy and longing for belonging. When he turns that around at the end of the Christmas carol, his life is changed. USA Today, this past week. Headline of an article, generosity is the antidote to fear. That's why it's important to serve. That's why we recently wanted to unleash hope. That's why in the middle of this pandemic, when we're like, the natural reaction was to fear and to pull back and not to be generous. I got to take care of me. We said, no, let's turn it out. Love responds. Love creates life. Love isn't driven by fear. Fear causes death. Instead, we need to respond. We need to serve. This church, we say it all the time. We only do three things. Christ, compassion, which means service to us which means being driven by love and community. Those three things, because that, that soothes that longing for belonging, that ends our exile. Third thing, collective. Where do we need to show collective responsibility? So Abraham is pleading for Sodom. Jesus is coming for all people with his arms open wide. You know, porcupines, Porcupines, obviously, you know, with all those at each other, in the cold of winter, they actually need each other, but they find it very hard because of their quills to come together. So they have to be very careful. But if they don't come together with all those sharp, pointy quills, if they don't come together, they will die of cold. This is collective. This is for all people. You can't just go to the people who are just like you. Jesus Jesus is nothing like me and Jesus is nothing like you. And yet he came for you and he came for me. Sodom is so different from Abraham and yet he pleads with God. Will you plead? Will you be collective? Matthew McConaughey, the actor. And some people in my house and some others that I know, for some reason they think Matthew McConaughey is good looking. I don't understand why. I don't think he's good looking. But anyway, he just recently wrote a book and he's talking about this collective and he's trying to get people to come together. I I was listening to an interview that he's trying to get people to come together. And he said, somebody said to him, he says, Matthew, you know, in the middle of the road, trying to come together, in the middle of the road, there's a bunch of yellow lines and a bunch of dead armadillos in the middle of the road. That's where people get crushed. And he said back to him, he says, look, we are so far separated right now that the cars on either side of the aisle aren't even on the pavement anymore. There's a huge, wide space because nobody's in the middle anymore. But that's where the good stuff happens. And he says, I challenge you on one side or the other. I, cha- I dare you, he said, to come to the middle. Now, I want to add something to that. Jesus is there in the middle. Famous scene, Joshua chapter five. Joshua says to this angel, Lord, are you for us or against us? He says, neither. Are you for us? Or are you against us? I'm neither. I'm in the middle. I'm where the yellow lines are. I'm in the paradox. Paradox is driven by love. Polarity is driven by fear. Love creates life. God creates life. Adam and Eve come together and make love and create life. Collective responsibility. So Jesus is calling us to collective responsibility. To bring people together. This is so important. We're pulling apart the answer is coming together you know we hear this all the time the answer is in coming together and then even the very people including me who say the answer is coming together run apart polarized why driven driven by fear We get in conversations with people who are different than us. And rather than like Jesus or like Abraham pleading their cause and praying for them like Desmond Tutu, that is the biblical solution. Rather than doing that, we're just simply looking to get our points across. Instead, what we need to focus on is conversation, not conversion. Conversation. talking. You're not going to convert somebody by hammering away at your points. McConaughey and Murphy actually talk about political gridlock. We are gridlocked politically. And we can all say, well, they need to do this and they need to do this. But what Murphy really points out in his book is, you know what would solve the problem? Our, our representatives, our senators in the House, Congress, what happens now is they go back home at the end of the week. This has been talked about for a long time. Instead of where they used to hang out here and they used to go to each other's kids' plays and stuff because they were here in town going to the same schools and all this, and they would see each other socially. They don't see each other socially. They have not built up any social capital. You want to end gridlock? It's not like, fight for my side and you need to shut up and you're terrible. No, no, no. You actually need to get people together socially and get them connected. That's how you end political gridlock. Instead of just wanting to yell and scream, driven by fear, polarity is not the answer. Paradox is the answer. Maybe you've seen this saying on a pillow or maybe you've seen it on a plaque somewhere. If you don't have anything nice to say, come sit next to me. <laughs> That's because, you know, we just want, we're, we're, we're brought together by our hatred and our frustration and our bitterness about other people. Abraham, Desmatutu, and ultimately Jesus, the final answer That ends all loneliness. He comes together and he brings everybody together. And nobody's like Jesus. Jesus isn't the answer. Jesus is the answer and he's in the middle of the road. Finally, where can we show ontological responsibility? Where can we say, you know what, God, you know what's best. I'm going to follow your ways. We read things in the Bible and we're like, I don't think, I don't know about that. Oh, I have a problem with that. And yet God introduces to us the values and principles that this world works on. So many people frustrated with God, are like, I don't I don't want to, you know, like, bristle with God at his authority. And yet, can we just think about this for a second? I want you to think about the values that you live on. I'm thinking about the values that I live on. What, what's important to me? Equality. And I've talked about this before. Universal human rights. Facts. Science, justice, forgiveness, speaking truth, even when it means speaking truth to power. Now, okay, give me just a second here, everybody. Where'd you get those ideas? You know, forgiveness. Forgiveness is really important. The first recorded case of forgiveness in the entire world, in the entire world in literature, found in the Bible, God introduces forgiveness to us. Genesis, there's all this dust up about, oh, Genesis and science and blah, blah, blah. Genesis is a polemic against myth. Genesis actually makes science possible because it takes away all these myths that were created. Science? You into science? Good. Genesis makes science possible. Justice. We see a God of justice. The first ever account of speaking truth to power is found and multiple times in the Bible. It's the first place. So these values that we love, the first time they're ever seen is actually in the Bible. The values that will turn the world around by the authority are found in the Bible. Where can we be responsible personally, morally, collectively, and ontologically by respecting the authority who's brought us the answer and returned to home and end the exile Christmas ends? the longing for belonging that we have. But we've got to be responsible to take those steps forward because nobody's going to clean up the mess behind me. God's not going to come down and clean it up. He's going to say, John, I've already shown you how to clean up. Grab the plastic trash bags and pick it up and do it. Take steps towards social connection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for your Word. Thank you that you are so concerned about the foundational things that cause us some serious problems. Help us to find the meaningful social connection that we all long for in Christ's name, amen.